started a brand new series, which uh, if you've been here for any length of time, for the past month, month and a half, uh, you know it's called Renovation of the Heart, Being Remade uh, by Jesus Through New Habits of Grace. Uh, the big idea is that uh, Jesus is uh, shaping us into a community of people. We want to be responsive to that. So I thought next slide is just kind of give you a little bit of a breakdown. It's kind of like where we're headed, kind of just kind of what, what we sense God is up to in this new season of the life of our church. Where are we headed? Uh, we've said basically it's three things. Number one, to be with Jesus as a community. To be like Jesus is the second thing. To do the stuff that Jesus did is the third thing. So the big question is like, how do we go ahead and do that? Or maybe another next question is, why does this even matter? So the negative aspect of this, the reason why this matters, is ultimately to miss Jesus is to drift toward or remain in a state of uh, meaninglessness, anxiety, or insignificance. Um, the reality is, is you and I, we crave meaning in our lives. Um, I believe it was Viktor Frankl, uh, the psychologist, challenged Freud's perspective on the, 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 what drives human beings. Uh, Freud kind of viewed the idea of what drives human beings as pleasure. What Frankl says, actually, it's meaning. We need a sense of meaning to survive, to live. If we don't have meaning, if we go on through life devoid of meaning or purpose or understanding as to why we're here, as to... Uh, uh, a God that has created us the way that we would use the terminology or language to describe that, then we drift into meaninglessness or we drift into obscurity or insignificance. And what we recognize, that's the negative. To miss Jesus is to miss all of this. Uh, But the positive is is that to know Jesus is ultimately to discover meaning, uh, peace for the state of meaninglessness and identity, an imperishable identity in the place of insignificance. In other words, this is exactly everything that you and I, we want, we crave, we long for. This is everything that drives Instagram, right? Is this idea, uh, I, I don't know who I am. I want people to think that this is who I am, this version of myself. And so we find ourselves kind of trapped. So what I want to invite you to consider is that these, this is all part of this whole journey. And then finally, uh, where do you fit in? Uh, the invitation for you is to ultimately to turn to Jesus and develop these practices that he had done. So today, if you missed the last two weeks, I would highly recommend going onto our website or just iTunes, download the messages, uh, because they're super important to basically understand as to what we are about to get into over the next several weeks. So today, we're going to begin to look at a variety of the practices that Jesus did. Not only Jesus, but also his disciples. And these are the practices that we would look at. And we would say, in order to grow in our walks with Jesus, um, these, are, these are important practices that are part of our lives. And that to not have these practices in our lives would, would mean that there will be a stuntedness in our growth. For example, what we're going to be looking at today is really this larger subject matter of prayer. And, or, uh, sorry, that's next week's. Uh, make, sure I, make sure I get the right sermon this week. Um, that being said, it's the subject matter of reading Scripture. That Scripture is one of the most important things that we see that was in the life of Jesus. It was in the life of his disciples. And I would even go so far as to say it was in the life or part of the culture of the people of Israel. So again, from whom Jesus came from and from whom many of the early disciples came from or derived from was this long history of engagement with this book we call the Bible but is also known as the sacred scriptures. So with that being said, what I want to do right now is I'm going to read a couple passages, um, and then we will begin to kind of unpack that and then make our way into this larger practice of what it means and how do we not only just read the Bible, but the title for today is Assimilating, Assimilating the Scripture. 
So in other words, what we're going to realize is that there's more to it than just simply reading the Bible. The aim of uh, the scripture is not to just have data or info. Um, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his day because all they had was data and info about God or about the scripture. But what they missed was the big E on the I chart, that is Jesus. They missed Jesus. So we want to make sure that we understand very clearly what's the aim of reading scripture or assimilating scripture in a variety of ways. We'll look at five ways in which we can assimilate scripture. So that being said, how about we all stand and read the scripture? That's cool. Um, We'll read the scripture and then we will begin to get to work. I'm going to read out of Luke Two passages, Luke chapter 24, so if you want to turn there, great. And then the second passage we'll be looking at is Romans chapter 15. Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, then Romans chapter 15. Luke 24, 25 begins with this. It says, then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, his death and suffering and resurrection? And then enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture and the things that were concerning himself. Next, Romans chapter 15 says this. Whatever was written in former days, reference to the scripture, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And this is God's word. Why don't you all grab a seat? So... What I want to do before we jump in, I just want to look at kind of the passages that we just read and draw some direct observations. So next slide, what do these uh, two verses actually teach us? What they tell us very clearly, number one, is that Jesus actually expected his disciples to know and ultimately love and trust the scripture. It's pretty clear in that passage there. If you're familiar with the story, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. This amazing, monumental, revolutionary moment happened where he's no longer in the grave. And he's hanging out with a a couple guys that were followers of Jesus, but they were not very familiar, obviously, with the storyline of the scripture. Or Part of the problem as well was that they had an obscured vision. Um, I like to think of it this way. They had messianic baggage that they imported into their understanding, meaning their idea of what the Messiah or the king would do was radically different than what Jesus had done. So therefore, they imported their understanding as to what the Messiah should do for them over And it, it obscured their ability to actually see what God was up to. Uh, that's a danger for all of us, by the way. Many of us can have sort of these uh, false notions or ideas or concepts that could be formed by religious ideals or concepts or tradition or just even our own natural bentedness towards sin and our proclivities to want to make up our own God in the, our own likeness and, and understanding that when we read the scripture, we read the scripture, as Paul would say, like with this veil over our eyes, We read it kind of with this plastic veneer, shrink wrap. It's not exactly in its full abundance as to what God intends. And so therefore, what Jesus says to his disciples, he expected them to know the scripture. This is really fascinating when you think about this. Because if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you call yourself one who is a disciple, then there is to some degree this expectation that Jesus anticipates, expects, assumes, if you would, that his followers have wrestled with and engaged with the sacred scriptures. Secondly, we also know that from these verses that we can assume that Jesus knew and ultimately loved and trusted the scriptures. This is one fascinating thing, aspect. This is what blew my mind several years ago and just looking at the life of Jesus and asking the question, what's the connection 
between me as a follower of Jesus and the scriptures. And again, because it's pretty common in modern world, in the modern world in which we live, in modern culture, to say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the scriptures. I don't really trust the scriptures. And, and I would suggest that concept is radically foreign to any form of New Testament under following of Jesus. It's, it's, it's brand new. In fact, I would even go so far as to say it's very, very novel and modern. It has not been, it does not have shelf life, which is sketchy because any type of new vaccine or any type of new like solution that comes out, we as a consuming public are very prone to be like, let's buy radium. It's awesome, right? It's amazing. It makes your hair glow. And then, you know, several months to several years later, you come to find out, oh, it's radioactive and you will die if you use it, right? So this notion of, I love Jesus, scripture, I totally distrust. Modern idea, modern concept, totally inconsistent with what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus knew and loved Scripture. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is ultimately the central character of the Scripture. Total central character. That's what we just read in the passage. That he says that all of the law and the prophets testify of, of me. It points back to Jesus. So this collection of books that we call the Bible is actually a library. I like to think of it this way. It's a library of 66 different um, books written by di- different authors over hundreds of years on different continents, but all pointing to one unifying reality that is Jesus, uh, who we see climax in the New Testament. And then fourthly, that we're told in that Romans passage that hope will actually grow in you as you know, love, and trust. Now, here's, here's a twist. Jesus, who's revealed in the scripture. Well, you might say, well, doesn't hope grow as I know, love, and trust Scripture? Yes, but again, Scripture is pointing to Jesus. So it's the, we, we want to make sure that we line this up rightly. It's possible to love the Scripture and be a jerk, and your life looks nothing like Jesus. It's possible. And what I'm challenging us to rethink and reconsider, that the aim is Jesus, but Jesus is revealed through Scripture. So to get this right or get this wrong has radical implications as to how we either live out our faith with this arrogance where we are condescending upon everybody who is not exactly like us or does not see things the way that we see things or are rude or are unkind types of people, or we become like Jesus because he's the one whom we love, but we learn of Jesus through the very scripture that has been breathed uh, by the very breath of God. So... That's, those are the four things that I think these passages teach us. With that being said, what I want to do is I want to jump on to the very next slide. I want to begin to think a little bit about this. So I want to make a statement. We'll kind of begin to unpack this. That our practices and or actions are actually linked to our understanding of who we are and whose we are. Our, act, our actions and our practices are linked. They're directly correspondent to our understanding of who we are, identity, and to whom we belong or whose we are. I'm not even sure if that's accurate English. So if you're an English major and this is deeply offensive to you, sorry about that. Um, So the last thing I want you to just get is this idea, is that identity shapes our actions. I'll give you an example. I'm married. I love my wife. Yes, amen. Been married for a long time, going on, you know, a few years shy of 30, which is crazy. Yes, praise God. Um, But that that being said, there are actions that I set forth in my life that are in line with my identity as a married man. It's not just any married man, but a married man who actually loves my wife and honors my wife. 
So in other words, there are things that I do. So for example, um, I have a habit daily, and I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this to like toot any horn, but I, I wash dishes daily. Not because I'm trying to like get something for my wife. You know, they say something starts in the kitchen, but that's not necessarily what I'm doing here. My big idea is that I want to honor and love my wife. I know she, she likes waking up and having a clean kitchen. So it's just something that it's a habit I've done, not because I'm trying to get something from her, but because of who I am. I belong to her. She belongs to me. We love each other. There's this covenant. There's this relationship that we share with one another. And she does the same thing. And that's just how, it's, uh, my, in other words, my actions and practices are directly linked to who I am and to whose I am, who I belong, to whom I belong. There we go. Whom, not who. Whom, right? Anyways, so our identity is, uh, shapes our action. So next slide, I want to begin to jump into this a little bit. Now, this brings up a little bit what we looked at last week. So again, if you weren't here last week, highly recommend checking out the message. Uh, this diagram is unintentional spiritual formation. The idea that we were kind of casting is that you and I as human beings are being shaped and formed. Now, we can call it spiritual formation, um, but again, whatever language you choose to describe, you and I are being shaped and formed either by the culture, our desires, or this combination of them, or what we love, as James K. Smith describes, as I've quoted before, um, or, so that's unintentional formation. But as followers of Jesus, we're invited to intentionally shape in partnership, in love, in response, not to earn God's favor. It's, again, we, we tried to be very clear on this last week. None of these practices we do to somehow earn God's favor. That we are saved by grace through faith alone. But what we do, because we have God's favor, we want to run and practice and do things like what Paul says to, to discipline ourselves so that we could be consistently receiving the love, aware of the fact that we could do things that could disrupt or ruin or quench uh, the very work that God has wanted to do in our lives. So what we do as followers of Jesus, we want to be very careful. This is the idea of intentional spiritual formation. So what we looked at last week was unintentional formation is the stories that you and I believe. And every one of us have this ongoing narrative that many of us believe. It's a narrative that's destructive to you. It says, this is who you are. This is, you're never going to ascend or any, go anywhere beyond this. You will always be doomed to whatever type of circumstance or action or activity or sin or uh, action that has happened to you. That's all that you will ever amount to be. And, you know, again, you can fill in the blanks as to what that um, ongoing story is that we believe. But what the teaching of the scripture is all about is it's recognizing, it's attaching our lives to an entirely different narrative, the narrative of the gospel. That's why we read. Again, it goes back to Jesus. We love Jesus. He loves us. We want to know him. We discover him. And then, in turn, we discover who we are through this engagement with this radically ancient and sometimes confusing and difficult book called the Bible. Uh, again, we're not making this up. This is what followers of Jesus for 2,000 years have done. And then before that, uh, followers of Yahweh have done. And even Jesus himself knew and understood the scripture. So that being said, I'm going to go to the next slide. We'll just kind of make our way through this. So I want to make this statement. We'll kind of move into this. That the scripture is our link to discovering who we truly are and belong to by showing us Jesus. That's what the scripture does. Again, it's a story that's ultimately about Jesus. Uh, we are not the keynote players in the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I think sometimes when we read the Bible, 
we have a really hard time with it. We read the Bible as if it's like this roadmap for me. It's this, it's this like roadmap to tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Now there is instruction without question in scripture. But primarily scripture is the unveiling of Jesus and who we are in relationship to Jesus. And in discovering who we are, I may completely miss Jesus. But in discovering who Jesus is, I will discover who I am. You guys following? This is how the Bible has always been understood and been read, is it's primarily about what God is up to in this world through his son Jesus and the invitation that he offers to you and I. Uh, In other words, to put it in another context, you and I are bit players on this stage of history. That's all we are. We just have a, a little minimized role on, but we are, there's, an, there's a degree of importance. I don't want to totally minimize our, part, our role in what God is up to in this world. However, when it comes to salvation or God bringing ultimate healing, that's his job. That's what he does. That's a gift that he brings to the table. He does the heavy, heavy lifting. We have been invited to partner, to love, to respond, or to put it in the words of Jesus, to abide in the vine. That's the idea. So the scripture is our link to discovering who we truly are and belong to by showing us Jesus, the one who loved us and ultimately gave himself for us. So with that, I want to begin to jump in and take a look at uh, five different ways in which I think scripture is learned and or assimilated in our lives. So the first of all is the way of hearing, right? Just most obvious. This is kind of like what you guys are doing right now. You're hearing scripture read. You're hearing it unpacked or taught a really important part it's in fact it's one of the parts in which i would say that actually plays into the practice of why do we come on sunday morning now again some would say well can't you just get this done by way of a podcast totally you can of course you can i highly recommend listen to podcasts listen to audiobooks it's it's a it's part of it but um there's something unique that happens when god's people come together and we worship together and we listen together We're, it's a it's a community type of an orientation Again, like I said, community or hospitality can carry on beyond this moment, the time that we have together here. And again, we're going to look at this in weeks to come as we look at really the intentionality of even conversation. How do we practice good, healthy, Jesus-centered conversation? We'll look at that in weeks to come. But first of all, let's take a look at really this, the practice of assimilating scripture, number one, by way of hearing. Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28 says this, Jesus then replied, But even more blessed are you who hear the word of God and put it into practice. So Jesus kind of combines this reality that it's possible to hear the Bible, hear the scripture read, but not put it into practice. Uh, In other words, in the place of putting it into practice is resistance or stubbornness or disbelief. um, Or there's a variety of other ways in which we can think about that. But the invitation from Jesus is when you hear scripture to put it into practice, to do what you have been instructed to do by way of God. Again, this, this involves a process of asking, what am I being invited by God to do? What does obedience to scripture look like for me in this particular context? What are the obvious things? What are the things that require, to some degree, interpretation? Again, there's a lot of ways to look at this, and I'm going to give you guys some resources towards the end so that would help you in your process of unpacking scripture and understanding the scripture at large. Um, nextly, next, take a look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans 10, 17. So, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith, meaning this thing that we learn in terms of understanding who God is, it comes by hearing and then hearing through Christ. So faith, this trust, like the, you can kind of break this down a little bit and ask, how do we learn to trust God? 
where we learn to trust the God that we hear about. Uh, and this is sort of the process. This is how ancients who studied scripture went through this process. They would have someone read it. Um, and again, most ancient culture was actually illiterate. So it's kind of a modern convenience that we've, we've engaged in. With a, I think if I were to go around here and ask uh, literacy, liter, literacy rate, I think the majority of us are literate. We can read. Uh, whereas in other times throughout church's history, most people didn't read. They didn't know how to read. So they had to have somebody read to them. And this is what we see. So Romans 10, 17 says, so faith or, uh, comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So number one, the practice of assimilating scripture involves this practice of hearing scripture uh, taught. Second, we see this practice of assimilating scripture also involves reading. So this practice of somehow you and I developing in our lives, of actually engaging, reading the scripture. So Luke chapter 4, verse 17 says this, the scroll of Isaiah was then given to Jesus, and he enrolled and he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's kind of an interesting thing to think, that Jesus himself, I mean, obviously was literate. Um, it's, it's good, he was, he was God in the flesh, of course. Um, but he read, he actually didn't, even though he was literate, he actually used his literacy ability to actually engage, to read the scripture in this public context. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Paul instructs this young uh, leader in the church. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Um, there's power to just reading Scripture. Uh, you know, again, this is something that I, I, I think even just getting people together that say love Jesus or know Jesus or want to learn about who Jesus is, I, I think to some degree we've lost that art of just reading. And again, I, I'm, honestly, I'm guilty of this. I, I by gifting, I, I think, I, I think I, it sounds like I'm being arrogant here. By gifting, I, uh, by what I love to do, all right? Let's put it that way. I love teaching, all right? You can determine whether or not I'm gifted or not by that. But I, I, love, I love teaching. It's something I just enjoy doing. I'm guilty that I, sometimes I can read the scripture and then always add my little filter, my commentary. But and it, it detracts. Sometimes it can detract from just simply reading the scripture. And this probably would have been the main way in which people would have imbibed scripture in the first century. Again, like I said, because of the illiteracy rates, that what you would have is that many of the passages or the, or the books in the Bible, for example, in the New Testament especially, um, the way they would have been done is Paul, perhaps, uh, one of the early church uh, leaders, uh, he would write a letter. And by the way, that's what the word epistle means. If you have ever kind of wondered, like, what is an epistle? An epistle is simply a letter written by an early church authority, in this case, Paul. Paul would write a letter to a community of people, say, for example, in the city of, of Ephesus. And then the community of people who love Jesus, they would get together, and somebody who was obviously illiterate, they would then begin to take that scroll or take that codex or whatever it was, and then begin to actually read it. And everybody around. Now, again, they didn't have, when, when the, they would read these passages, they didn't have scripture like, broken down into actually like numbers. So many of us, obviously, as we read our Bible, we are like, okay, chapter 4, verses 8. Um, none of that was there in the original writings. This was later added to basically create an address. So, you know, if you wanted to like share, hashtag share scripture, um, you would be able to say, oh, it's this, here's where it's at, chapter 4, verse 18. But the big idea was that they would typically gather around and just listen to the text in the letter and whatever it was that was written uh, read. And they would go through the entire thing. So imagine uh, spending the next half an hour, like the, write, the writing of Ephesians, um, and just reading through the whole thing. I did this recently, this past um, several months. Um, I think it was like December. I just listened to the entire book of Revelation 
in one setting. The entire book of Revelation seems kind of like a big book, but it only took me an hour to just listen to the whole thing being read. And honestly, that was an absolutely amazing experience for me, to just listen to the book of Revelation, not a commentary, not match it to a chart, but just listen to it. It's revolutionary. It's amazing. So uh, reading the scripture is an important thing. Until I come, as Paul says, devote yourself to public reading. Thirdly, the practice of assimilating scripture by way of studying. So number one, hearing. Number two, reading. Number three, studying. This is the idea of basically taking scripture and breaking it down. So um, I highly recommend that by way of a practice, um, just, just listening to, this is, by the way, this is what I do for the most part. Uh, every day I have over the past couple years, and it's, it's taken me a while to do this. So again, this, this is, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of a guide on this journey alongside you. I have not perfected this. I've just, I've, I've, I'm learning as I go. But one of the, the rhythms that I've learned in my life is to, by way of Uversion, which is a free Bible app, is um, I'll go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We did that as a church, by the way, last year. Many of you guys did that. I'm so proud of you guys. And many of you guys are actually redoing that again this year. I'm like doubly proud of you. Good job. It's awesome. But what, what, I, what I typically do on a regular day is I'll listen to whatever the scripture reading is for the day. I'll just listen to it. Put it in my headphones while, while I actually clean the kitchen. Um, so that's kind of what I do in the morning and, and make my, you know, pour over a cup of coffee. And uh, it's, it's my, my daily ritual. And then typically after that, I'll go and then uh, pick up a passage of the Bible or a book in the Bible. Right now I'm going through the book of Hebrews. And I read through that more in depth. And this is what I'm talking about, studying. So uh, there's a difference. One, uh, the way one author described it, one of the books that I, I referenced last week, is uh, the idea of like getting in a boat and going like a, like a speedboat and going across the lake. You're just going fast. That's different than stopping the boat or getting in a rowboat and going a little bit slower. And that's different than stopping in the middle of the lake and then dropping a line into the water. That's more like, um, you know, uh, memorization or meditation. So you have three movements on a body of water. One is going quickly over it. You're skimming across it. Second is just going slowly, taking it all in. Thirdly is actually fishing for, you know, life or something that's of substance. Um, This is more just like, Digging a little bit deeper, asking questions of the text. There's all sorts of good study content material. Again, like I said, I'll give you some uh, um, study aids at the end that might be helpful for you. But this is the idea of digging in. So Psalm 119, which is uh, it's the longest psalm, but this is a psalm that's entirely about the scripture. Like if, and again, I would even suggest that if you have ever been in states or places in your life where you've questioned the scripture, or you wrestle with it, or you're confused by it, or you are kind of imbibing the cultural milieu that causes us to be deeply suspicious of it, I'd highly recommend just sitting down and reading Psalm 119, wrestling with it, putting yourself in the, the sandals of the ancient writer, and just listening to how they read, how they viewed, how they understood the scripture. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, narrative. But the Psalm is, in Psalm 119 says, I will study your commandments. And reflect upon your ways. So the idea of digging a little bit deeper, asking questions of it, considering, thinking about it. That's a little bit different than the next one, which we'll look at right now, which is four, meditation. Now, I want to be very clear. This is totally different. This is, now, yes, in, in modern parlance, the way that many of us might think of the word meditation, we tend to think of it with uh, Eastern uh, mystical type of elements. Uh, this word meditation, the only thing that they share in common is the same word. 
totally different. The way the Bible describes this concept of meditation, totally different than the way maybe an ancient Eastern view or maybe more even modern uh, Eastern view is in modern uh, mystical practices of meditation that are not Christian or not Jewish uh, would basically view meditation as a, as a practice of emptying your mind of uh, challenges or hardships or um, encumbrances or things that you hold on to. Um, the practice of uh, Jewish or Christian meditation is the exact opposite. And again, like I said, the only thing it shares in common is the same word. But for the biblical context, the idea of meditation basically means to take uh, a word or a phrase or a theme or an idea and to think deeply on this thing. Um, we'll get more into just what the word means in just a moment. I re- want to read a couple passages, and I'm going to give you a quote by Eugene Peterson. So Psalm 1-2 says this, How blessed or happy or fortunate, uh, a variety of ways in which this can be translated. How blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. The idea of like asking the question of what causes your heart to leap for joy. It's a good moment to just kind of reflect and think. What are the things that my heart leaps? What are my desires? For many of us, uh, our desires might run amok. Our desires control us. Our desires misguide us. Our desires lure us into places that leave us feeling horrible and broken and ruined and far from God. But here's the psalmist who's saying, God, how blessed is the one. My meditation, my desires, my delight is in your law, your word, the Torah is the word that's used there. He says, who meditates, and blessed is the one who meditates on your law day and night. Psalm 119, verse 97, again, that psalm about the word. Uh, how I love, how love I your law. How I love your law. I think it should be how, I, th- I think this might be from like a King James version or something like that. How love I your law. How about that? How love I your law. Um, it is my meditation I swear, I did not type this out. I just literally cut and pasted this. So this is not my bad English, if it's bad. If it's right, then I'll take credit for it. If it's wrong, I'm not going to take credit for it. Anyways, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. It's what I think about. Next slide. Um, Eugene Peterson says this about uh, that particular idea of meditation. He says, in the language of the psalmist, the word meditate has to do with slow eating, Literally, to slowly chew or to masticate or suck on a lollipop. There's a passage in the Old Testament that describes a lion meditating on his prey. Think about it. Like, med- Again, this is, this, these, these pictures help us to digest. No, no pun intended. Help <laughs> us to digest this idea of what meditation means. So what, what does a lion do with his prey? Oh, I guess. I've never seen a lion, but that's my guess. He's, he's meditating on his prey. He's sucking on it. He's chewing on it. He's gnawing on it. He's, he's groaning. Right? Some of you have a dog, and that's what your dog does to a bone. He's, in the language of the Bible, he's meditating on that bone. So with that context in your mind, what does it mean to meditate upon the Scripture? Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about how that just, that comes into living color. It's three-dimensional. Like, what does that mean? What's the invitation for you and I to meditate upon the scripture, to gnaw on it, to meditate upon it, to suck upon it? Whatever language that we could use, no matter how raw or kind of uh, weird, uh, uh, not well it sounds, 
But this is the language of the Old Testament, the Bible, to meditate upon the Scripture. It's the invitation for us. Uh, next, let's jump into the last one, which is the idea of memorization. The idea of memorization. So in Psalm uh, 119.11, again, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I can't think of a better way to describe what um, this idea of memorization is other than to simply describe uh, hiding your word in my heart. Hiding it, tucking it away, taking these bits and pieces and morsels and concepts and truths and realities of who God is, of who I am in light of this God, and, and tucking them away, memorizing them. Um, this has been, I, I would even suggest, a really important practice, um, even for myself, just like, Learning And again, many of us, we you know, are either overachievers or underachievers. And, and so we either kind of buckle at the sound of like, gosh, I have so many things to memorize or my memory is not very good. And, uh, you know, I used to say that as well. Like my mem- and I would even to some degree say that I, I, the older I get, the more I realize like my memory is not as good as it used to be. Um, but it's, it's amazing to me how I can memorize certain lines of, of a song. I don't know how it's pot. It could be the evil one. But I, it's easier for me to remember a line from a Katy Perry song than, than it is to actually memorize scripture, all right? Uh, but the point that I'd make is that this, this is a practice. It's a habit. It's something that we have to work hard at, if, if I can just that language. Um, and, and why do we do this? It goes back to this bigger question, this bigger reality of, of who we are and to whom we belong will help shape our actions and our activities, in, in how we act, what we do. And so meditation becomes, and memorization become these practices. Jesus, without question, memorized large passages of Scripture. Do you know, again, this, this has always felt like radically overwhelming to me, but do you know that in ancient Jewish custom and practice, that it was not uncommon for a teenager that was kind of in track or on track to become kind of a significant spiritual leader in their community, to actually memorize entire portions or entire books of the Torah, I mean, think about that. Memorizing every word in the book of Leviticus, right? Like, imagine that. That feels radically overwhelming to me. But this is the idea. Like, it's, that's what it means to, like, hide it in your heart. And the psalmist says, so that I would not sin against you. Uh, someone once said, cheesy cliche, so it's cheesy cliche time. Um, uh, the, the word will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from the word. So, so apparently whatever the psalmist is describing here is that as we tuck God's word in our heart, as we begin to meditate and study it and think about it, again, the aim of this is not just simply data. It's Jesus. As we learn of who Jesus is, as we learn of how much he loves us and what he's done for us and what he's invited us into and the degree of grace that he's shown upon us, for us, towards us, beyond us, and then invited us in terms of partnership, to be a part of what he's up to in this world, to the degree I grasp that is the degree to which I begin to make adjustments in my life to say, I want to imbibe and assimilate the very words that point to him. I want to know these things. I want to learn these things. And that involves maybe to some degree rearranging, reorienting uh, certain bad habits in my life and replacing them with certain good habits that involve this process of assimilating scripture into my life. So with that being said, next slide. Uh, we'll wrap this up pretty quickly here in just a moment. I'm going to give you a couple like really good resources. This right here, I would say, is like a library of incredible resources. Make sure you write this down, thebibleproject.com. If you can't remember the rest of it, explore forward slash how to 
how dash two dash three. If, if you can't remember any of that, that's fine. Just go to thebibleproject.com and just look for the passage or the, the series on there of how to read the Bible. It's pretty easy. It's the very first one up on, on the page. So you should not have any problems whatsoever finding it. Uh, there are probably close to nine, maybe even 15 or so, I didn't count, but somewhere around there, videos. About four to five, maybe even eight to ten minute videos uh, in length. Um, this is literally a wealth of information and help for you. Um, they take you through the process of learning what the scripture is, how to read the Bible, how to read like prophetic literature, how to read all of this that in a lot of ways might cause a lot of confusion and or consternation. But my encouragement to you would be to, if you do not have habits right now in your life that, are a, that have or incorporate regular rhythmic cadences in your life of reading, imbibing, assimilating scripture, uh, don't somehow just walk away from this and being like, well, I got one more thing on my agenda that I got to figure out to do. No, the more important thing is to go back and settle the question, who are you? Who do you belong to? Because that's the big issue right there. It's not about adding more stuff to our already crammed schedules. It's going back to saying, who am I? Who, do, who, who has bought me? Who loves me? Who's given himself to me? And in response to the one who loved me and gave himself to me is this interaction of me saying, God, I give myself back to you. To want to be for you, to love you, to serve you, to reflect you in all the ways in which you are deserving and worthy of it all. So I want to finish with this next slide, and we'll kind of wrap this up. In terms of what are some of the potential reasons uh, why we might not have developed uh, this practice of assimilating scripture? And I'll just go through a handful of them. Now, some of these might kind of resonate with you. Some of them might not at all. But uh, again, I don't know. Maybe some of you, I'll, I'll, I'll give audience participation now. How about that at the end? If you can think of other ones. These, these are just a handful that came to my mind. Number one, hardness of heart. I think it's kind of start there. Like at some point, there's just this like hardness like I, or indifference. I, I don't really care about God. I'm not really interested in God. Uh, the scripture would describe that as like this hardness. There's this like callousness of our heart. It's just not, not eager. I mean, think of it. What, what would cause somebody who might have been in a relationship, in love, to quote unquote fall out of love? That process would be identified as, 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 as closing one's heart. It's like the opposite of opening. It's closing. Hardness of heart might be one thing you have to take into consideration. Secondly, uh, confusion. You might just look at the entire Bible and be like, this thing is so incredibly confusing. And it's hard, and you would just push it away. Um, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said something to the fact, and I, hopefully I don't mess this up, um, that Christianity has not been found uh, 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 tried and found wanting. It's been found hard and not tried. It's been found hard and not tried. I think this kind of plays a little bit into that. That actually, this process of, of engaging scripture, of thinking about it, um, can run into some degrees of confusion. So therefore, we just we push it off a little bit to the side. Uh, third is just busyness and hurry. Honestly, I, I, I personally think this is one of the big issues of, of us here in the Central Coast. And I, I don't say you, I say us, all of us. We're just busy. I mean, ask most people, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, I'm so busy got this and that and school and soccer practice and kids and life. And, and again, it's, I'm not in any way just uh, putting it down. It's, it's, we, we live within this milieu that just we are rushed, we are busy, and we just don't have these times to, to develop or to place into our lives these cadences. But again, um, this is where I would gently, kindly, lovingly just push, push back a little bit. Um, 
the, the reality is that we actually make space for things that are most important to us, things that really, truly matter. So again, this kind of pushes the topic a little bit up further towards the place of our heart, where we got to then kind of begin to wrestle and ask, is, is it important to me? Is the practice of assimilating, reading, memorizing, meditating upon, wrestling with scripture, is, is that something that's of, of, of importance whatsoever to me? And again, no guilt, no shame, just something I think we have to be honest with ourselves and just kind of wrestle with and ask. Uh, fourthly, is just straight up laziness. You know, I mean, look, uh, again, this is like not condescension time. It's just sometimes that we have to think about this. Like sometimes laziness, just I, you know, don't want to do it. I have other things I'm doing. Uh, laziness can sometimes settle in and keep our hearts from engaging a practice that's really good. Uh, next is complacency. This is just sort of this stagnancy in, in my soul. And rather than moving forward, we're just kind of complacent. We settle for, um, we just settle for less. I mean, think about that. C.S. Lewis has this incredible quote, which I'm not going to quote because I do it all the time, but he describes this idea of like, we settle like a child uh, making mud pies in a slum when he's, when he's actually given an invitation to go on a vacation on a cruise, right, voyage, that many of us, we're just, we are far too easily pleased. We just settle for less. And think about that. We have this God that loves us, that has demonstrated his love to us, in that even while we were rebels, Jesus did something monumental on our behalf. This is the degree to which this God loves us. And he invites us. And uh, a philosopher, a guy named Peter Kreeft, uh, describes this interaction with Jesus as Jesus' shock that nobody who had ever encountered Jesus walked away unchanged. Touching Jesus is like touching a live wire. Something happens. We are jolted. We are shaken. We are left for dead. We are made alive. Something happens. Jesus is amazing. And he completely has the power to reverse our complacency and our boredom, which I think kind of go hand in hand. And then finally, uh, forgetfulness of who I am and to whom I belong. I think this is, again, just one of the things to consider, that we, we forget who we truly are and who God truly is and what he's called me to be. And in the wake of that forgetfulness, uh, we just kind of slip into all these other areas of complacency. And rather than engaging with all that God has for us, we oftentimes settle for various Moments of either optimism and or pessimism, but never really hope. Just like the scripture promises. There's hope offered to those who, un- who learn and understand. It's like Romans, the passage that we had just read, describes this idea. So lastly, in finishing, I want us to think about this. Going back to the last slide here. That our practices and our actions are linked to our understanding of who we are and whose we are. That our identity shapes our actions. I don't know where you're at or what you're thinking or what types of circumstances that are taking place in your life, but my, my hope today, my invitation to you today would be to think about and consider who Jesus is and the degree to which he loves you. And I want to, uh, what I want to do right now is I, I want to wrap this up in just the next moment. I'm going to invite you guys, uh, we've got a few more minutes left, um, to actually break up into groups. And here's what I want to do. As a church community, Again, I realize maybe you don't know some of the people around you, but I'm going to invite you to break up into groups of like three to five. And I'm going to give you one slide, this slide right here. 
for you to just ask amongst yourself, and then we're going to just finish. I'll pray over us, and then we'll finish with song of worship as the worship team will come on up. They'll get ready and cued and whatnot, and then, uh, then we'll go through this. So how about you guys right now? Just take um, two, two seconds, three seconds, five seconds to stand up and break up into groups of three to five, and then begin by asking the question, have you developed a consistent pattern of assimilating Scripture into your life? And then follow what's on there.